0: What a joy to see all of you this morning and the privilege to be here at, see I said it right, the first service, let me try it again, Community Church of Portage Lakes. Did I get that right? And to be able to see what God is doing in your midst. I was here a couple years ago. I I try to get through Northeast Ohio about once a year or once every couple years, really just for a few days. And uh, I, I snuck into a service and to be able to sense God's spirit moving and to hear your wonderful pastor, my friend, Pastor Mike, to see that music, that, that, that shift from traditional to contemporary. By the way, who, who's the guy playing the, the far end over here, mustache, the guitar, bass? What's his name? Okay, you know, uh, Chip, I have a feeling is about my age, and that's the same age as Pastor Mike, and what that means is we kind of grew up appreciating all styles of music, because I saw Chip singing in the choir in the first service and really enjoying that, and then I saw him back again playing the guitar, and I think, Pastor Mike, that's kind of where we are in life. We can kind of bridge those gaps. But it's a real joy to be able to be here. Uh, friends, I got to know your pastor when uh, he and I, we were about five years old. His mom and dad became friends with my parents. And so Mike and I, we, we would hang out together. Uh, I remember when my parents would go off on vacation, I wouldn't even ask a, a question I would pack my bag, and all the way through high school, I just assumed I'm off to the Ripka household. So my bag, you know, my parents gone, and I would go and, and, and spend the time right there at the Ripka home. And Joe and Larry, I know your hearts are so grateful for your family and for your daughter that honors the word of God and son-in-law encouraging not only sexual faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the building up of marriage and health in a way that our society needs and to be part of your son Michael's church. What a joy. By the way, when I came in, I saw a number of people that, uh, that I remember when I was just a kid. And uh, one of the guys I also grew up with is sitting here toward the front. Uh, his name is Jack Grenault's. And Jack, I don't mean to embarrass you. Jack never likes to be drawn attention to. Uh, but Jack, he was a very good basketball player, very good basketball coach. And many of you knew of his dad. If you grew up in this area, his dad was, uh, was a legend at, uh, at Barberton. Uh, when I played high school ball, that's the one team you never wanted to face the Barberton magics. But I remember Jack. Even when we were growing up, we'd play basketball together. Uh, Jack, he'd go home at night and he'd be drawing up plays. I'm talking about in high school, junior high. He'd be drawing up plays, future coach. In many ways, that's how it was with your pastor. Pastor Mike, he knew that he was going to be a pastor by the time he was 12 years old. And I can't tell you how blessed this church family is to have a a man that not only loves Jesus and loves you, but he's been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Word of God all of these years. Pastor Mike, thank you very much for the privilege to be here and to share from your pulpit here this morning. I give greetings from my mom and dad. By the way, I just was talking about you, Chip. How old, how old are you? I really want to know? You're 65. Okay. I'm 57, and I was saying that I love seeing singing in the choir and then playing there uh, right here in the band. God, God, God bless you. God bless you. My mother and father give greetings to this church family here today. I am so thankful to come from a family where... My father and mother, not only do they love each other, but they have given honor to Jesus Christ all the days of their life. I also give greetings on behalf of my wife, Faith. We've been married for 34 years and we have two children. Uh, I've got a son, 28. I've got a daughter, uh, son David, named after my father. And my daughter is Taylor, she's 29, married to a medical doctor, and by God's grace, she will give birth to our first grandchild here in mid-January. Now, let me tell you a little bit about uh, schedule here, if I may. Michael, are you closing the service or am I today? I'm gonna close it off. Uh, Michael knows I'll take every minute plus some, and so around 12.15, Lord willing, I will close it. And all of you are saying, oh Lord, please. Uh, But I'll, I'll close it off in prayer. And then in the prayer, I'll actually take a few moments of silence where I would like for you to do business with God. I believe that there is something that can occur in corporate worship together when we come together family of God, we sing praises, we study his word, the spirit of God is moving. And so at the end of the service, perhaps some of you here today, you love Jesus, but you've gotten a little too casual, and comfortable in your walk with the Lord, it's time to rededicate your life to Jesus. Perhaps there are some here today you've never given your life to Christ. Some of you here today, you're going through difficulty and hardship, Whatever it may be, we'll take a few moments and have prayer. And then uh, I will then give a closing benediction. And following that, Pastor Mike said, if anybody wants to come up, there will be those here at the church that would love to talk with you. Uh, In about three weeks, I am going to be in Vietnam And then after a week there, training Christian leaders, I'll then be in Bangkok. We'll bring together a small group from six different countries in Southeast Asia. And then after that, I'll fly up to Kathmandu, Nepal, come back right before Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving, we'll be in Latin America. Right after Latin America, we'll have Christmas. By God's grace, I hope to be able to see the birth of my grandchild and then... Four or five days after that, I'll be in Africa. We'll be in Nairobi and then Dar es Salaam and then Kigali, Rwanda. Be back for a few weeks and then back off to Southeast Asia right before Easter. I say all of that to say I know that there are some here that know of our ministry and I very much appreciate uh, your prayer. Now, I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to a passage that we're gonna stay with throughout our time this morning. Uh, Pastor Mike has given me the privilege to be like a precursor before your missions Sunday here next week, and within that, I'd like to focus in on really the foundation of much of what we do, and that's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Now, I, uh, I grew up, everybody did KJV, King James Version. That's what I memorized out of. So when you hear me quote things, a lot of times you're going to hear that Old English, that King James Version. And then for many years uh, as a pastor, I pastored for 20 years, uh, 13 years in one church. We started that church from scratch, became a wonderful ministry in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then seven years on the other coast in Florida. For 20 years, I pastored and I would speak out of the NIV, the New International Version. But I know that many churches these days in your church, you use a terrific translation called the ESV. So we're going to read together from the ESV, but when I quote the passage today, you're going to be hearing it from the NIV. Now in the synagogues, this is a practice that goes way back. And many of the early church practices, they love to give honor to the Word of God. And so, if you would do me the privilege, one of the formalities that I like, I like us to stand in honor of the precious Word of God. And I would invite you to read along with me, you'll see it on the screens, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Let's read together. Beautiful promise. Jesus declares a statement about himself. He gives a strategic game plan that we'll look at. And then just what Cody was leading us in singing right before I came up here. I mean, they may not have had a guitar back then, but it's the same, you know, listen to those words. He kept talking about the promises of God. He is faithful. He is faithful. Promises. He'll keep his promises. And Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. May the Lord continue to honor his eternal word. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know how your last week went, but I can tell you I had uh, quite a week in my life and in world events. Last weekend, I celebrated my 34th anniversary. I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am for my wife, Faith. God has brought her into my life. We've been able to share life together. She's been a tremendous joy. A couple days after that, all of a sudden, uh, I got up and she got up and she said this, we've got got, uh, a a problem. And I'm thinking, oh no, did I... uh, yeah, no, I took her out, I'm thinking, for the anniversary. I remember the anniversary, <laughs> kind of checklist. And she rarely puts me in the doghouse. You know, she's been so gracious and kind. But she says, no, no, we got a problem. I'm like, well, well what's that? She goes, a hurricane is going to hit Florida. So sure enough, we took a look at the television and the news stuff, and we, we see this massive hurricane coming Well, my family, we live in Southwest Florida. Uh, For many years, I lived in Naples. I now live in Fort Myers. And I'm looking at, it kind of looks like spaghetti noodles. All the different tracks, you know, the European, the U.S. model, this model, that model, the Mike Ripka model. (laughs) I just say if everyone's listening. All those noodles, I call them, and we like, breathe the sigh of relief. We feel bad for Tampa, they're gonna get it, but no way Southwest Florida. Monday, life's going on as usual in Southwest Florida. Tuesday, all of a sudden, the track starts going south. And we're like, oh no, maybe, maybe. So you start getting ready and prepped, and I've got, like I said, family and mother-in-law, and you know, getting everything ready to go. And then all you, and then all of a sudden, we find out it's coming right where we are. Wednesday comes, and I'm thankful that we're far enough away from the coastline that we had some nicks and dents, but nothing serious. But it's still tough stuff. I mean, we had a hundred mile-per-hour winds where I was, and just. Five, four or five hours of that level of intensity. Thursday comes and you kind of pick and clean up a little bit. And then my son takes his truck, puts, puts me in the car, and we go looking at the devastation near the coastline. Friends, it, it was like a war zone. Many lives were lost billions of dollars of infrastructure completely destroyed and gone, people's dreams just crushed. Uh, my, my son had one friend, true story. Uh, this friend had been in Florida for years and so thought, "Ah, oh, no big deal, I've, I've gone through hurricanes, never been through a surge like that, texting as it's going along, water This friend said, it's rising up above the shoreline. It's in my pool. Water's now, you know, ankle deep. Now up to my knees. Now waist high. I don't know when and if it's going to stop. I think I'm going to die. Eventually, that friend couldn't even open the, the door from the water pressure, broke a window, swam out of the house. To a neighbor's second story outside balcony and stood there hoping the water would not go that high. Next day, rescue folks were able to come and this friend was rescued. My son, by the way, he, he, he's got one of those, I call it water motorcycles, a sea dew, and he goes out and uh, he and a friend. Uh, even though he's a real estate guy, right now there's no real estate to be bought or sold today. So he's out there and he's helping. And yesterday, he actually saved a couple people. I mean, a lot of people. It's, it's quite a time there. Friday came and I, I knew I was sup- supposed to be here. And I, I told uh, Pastor Mike, I said, I, I'm going to do the best that I can. By Friday afternoon, Fort Myers Airport says, closed. no flights on Saturday. Started to scramble, got a flight. I heard Sarasota Airport, that's the next closest might open. So I had a flight out of Sarasota. Got up extra early on Saturday because that, that, that drive should be an hour and a half. Okay? It took me four hours yesterday. And a part of that time, I was going through water where you could have water skied behind it. <laughs> My wife Eight and a half hours to get home after she dropped me off. I mean, it's unbelievable in that part of our country right now. Did you also see what happened on Friday? On Friday, Vladimir Putin, right there at Red Square, he holds a massive concert, and and the whole crowd, everybody's chanting, Russia, Russia, Russia and he announced the annexation of 15% of Ukraine. It is the largest annexation of territory since World War II. These are very, very serious days. When I saw that and I think of the invasion, my mind of course goes to our ministry, BMI. If I could just give you a little taste, little history. Very quickly, uh, my father, in many ways, believed that he was called to be an evangelist. He had many opportunities, but my grandfather was sick, and my father came back to help his dad. Uh, not long after that, my grandfather would pass away, have serious surgery once, and in the second surgery, he would pass away. And my father, stayed 25 more years at the chapel in Akron. Uh, During that time, he began to set up another ministry organization that one day would become known as BMI. Uh, But how would that be used? What would we do? My father was connected. He served on the Billy Graham organization for many years on their executive board. And the Graham organization had sent my father out many years ago to uh, train international pastors. And my father looked out and he saw these thousands of pastors that had no Bible college or theological training, and his heart was burdened. And he came back and he said, I I wanna start a ministry even though we're, we're gonna be like a boutique hotel, we're gonna make certain it's really good, but it's gonna be personal touch, and we're small, but dynamic, and we want to reach out and help train pastors. And so we began to make contacts, uh, we began to write material. And my mother, father and I, we put together about 50 hours of training material and would go out. And one of the places that we would go out, my dad had developed a unique connection through the guy that was kind of the key leader of all the Soviet Union. And he had opened up that whole part of the world to us. And so we would come in and at one point, I'm holding training seminars for 200 pastors at a time. So it's a busy period of life. I mean, we've got a a fast-growing church in Cincinnati. I've got a young family. At one point, I go back, and I'm working on a PhD, and we're trying to do this international ministry. A lot going on. And in the midst of that, I'm looking out, and I'm watching the future, and all of a sudden, in my heart, I am burdened. We've got to make some adjustments, some changes into the future. And what I felt burdened in my heart to do was to begin to invest in some key young men, to invest in their life, and to give platform opportunities for them, and to encourage them to multiply, to multiply, to multiply. Now I have to tell you, friends, I've got lots of failures. I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, I mean, we try things, not everything works. But I am so thankful by God's grace some of of the guys that I've been able to invest in have become really special leaders. One of the finest churches in Cleveland right now, one of the fastest growing churches is a young man that I mentored for many years. One of the voices right now for strong evangelical black America is a young man that I mentored. We helped him even establish a church. And that, and that young man is now the president of the organization that provides more training in the, hosp- not in, the, in, the, in, in the prisons in America than any other organization. But the Lord put it on my heart. I'm so grateful for Larry and Joe Ripka. Larry has served on our board and he, he was there as I shared that heartbeat and, and he encouraged me go on, go find them. And we prayed. And for three years, I looked in the former Soviet world. At that time, I'm, I was only in my mid-30s. And then I, I, I finally met a young man, a young man by the name of Vitaly Sorokun. <laughs> he, he, he was a recent Christian, but you could tell God's hand was on his life. He already had one master's degree. He had finished a second one in law. He was going to begin a PhD in international law. He told me he wanted to come to America and make a lot of money, and he'd send some money back to Ukraine. I appreciated the honesty. His lovely wife, Anna, her grandfather, is one of the most famous scientists in the former Soviet world. He... uh, basically designed the nuclear warfare system of the Soviet Union. That is Vitaly's wife's grandfather. And if you know anything about communist Soviet world, that was deep atheism. And very big, significant, that this man's granddaughter had become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I said to him, Vitali, I want to invest in your life. I want to get to know you more. He goes, Well, how are you going to do that? I said, Well, I said, um, How are you going to pay for your PhD in international law? He goes, I'm. I'm going to get a part-time job. So that's good. I said, How many hours a week? He goes, Well, I figure 20 hours a week. You know, this part-time job. And I asked, I said, How much money? How much money? Uh, Will you need to earn on your part-time job to pay for your international law? He gave me the number. And friends back then, I mean, back then in that part of the world, that's the day where you could buy like 30 Big Macs at McDonald's for like $2. I mean, the number was like super small. So I said to him, I said, Vitaly, I would like to hire you part-time. He goes, yeah? He says, to do what? For 20 hours a week. I said, well, Vitaly, five hours a week, I would like for you to translate you know, more of our material that we have for the pastors. And when we come into your part of the world once or twice a year, I'd like you to you know, oversee and all the details of the conference and bringing all these pastors together and follow up. I said, I figure that'll take about five hours a week on average through the year. He goes, okay, makes sense. He goes, what else you want me to do? I said, for 10 hours a week, I want you to read theology books and leadership books, and I'm gonna give you a whole suitcase of books and a list of what you read over the next four years. And every month, I want you to read for 30 hours, and then I want you to write for 10 hours. And once a month, a 10-page report, and then I will uh, respond to that over the internet. He goes, wow, okay. I'll do it. And I started to leave. I was busy back then as you can hear. And I, 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 you know, all this I was making up on the fly anyway. So I thought, he goes, oh, John, you're paying me for five more hours. You said 20. I said, let's see. I said, five set up 10. Yeah, we're only at 15. He goes, well, what do you want me to do for five more hours? I had absolutely no idea. And so I said, Vitaly, why don't you pray? that's all right. Don't worry about it. Is that Vitali? <laughs> he goes, you're going to pay me to pray. I said, sure. Why not? He said, Jonathan, pray about what? He goes, I, I, I'm a fairly new Christian. I don't think I've prayed for more than one minute my entire life. And you want to pay me to pray for five hours. He goes, what do I say? I said, Vitali, listen, just start praying. And I'm sure in some of those theology books I'm giving you, they're going to help you along the way. So here's what his schedule uh, was for the law school. He would get up at six, eat breakfast, and he'd also have lunch and dinner. He'd eat dinner at 6 p.m. and then everything in between. So for about 10 hours a day, he'd be at law school and study. So six to six, meals in law school. Now he's got to find an extra 20 hours a week. So For the next four years, what he does, he wakes up at four in the morning and he prays and he reads and he writes 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. I had no idea this was occurring, but after four years of this, I get this note. I just felt led to invest in his life. I get a note from him. Trust me, I've kept it. And he said, Jonathan, over these years, the Spirit of God has broken my heart. I am going to stop the dream of coming to America, and I'm going to stay in Ukraine and serve Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? So what do I train him? How do I invest further? What's happened to Vitali's life? You're gonna to need to stay with me through the end of this service. I'd like to at this time invite you to turn in that passage that we read together. Take a look. And much of my relationship with Vitali, what we do, comes right out of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Now let me give you a little context around this passage. Uh, if you look at the first four books of the Bible, you know, I mean New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Scholars will all tell you that John is unique. Uh, The Johannine literature, John writes in a way that is beautiful, powerful, and his purpose, he states very clearly at the end of chapter 20. John states, these things are written that, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. When you look at the first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we call those the synoptics. Most scholars believe that Mark was written first and very likely uh, the last part of Mark in Mark 16 uh, was lost. So what you have in some translations, you'll see like a big asterisk. This is not found in many of the reliable uh, manuscripts. So in some ways, Mark is truncated. Uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, He writes, and you've got Luke, but he continues to write further in the book of Acts. But Matthew is going to wrap it up, and he wraps it in a very powerful declaration with strategy. Notice again the words. After the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus just before his ascension, he's with his disciples. He's invested his life in them, and he says... All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. You know how powerful that is? All authority in heaven and on earth. This was the time of the Roman Empire. The great leader of the Roman Empire was a guy named Caesar. Caesar was the ruler of the world. They have things like statements like all roads lead to Rome. You have statements like the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the Pax Romana was enforced by the sword because Caesar was Lord. Caesar was called Savior of the world. And then you have this little baby born in Bethlehem where the angels would cry out, Glory to God in the highest, not to Caesar. Peace, peace, not Pax Romana, not the peace of Rome, but the peace that will be found in the Savior, the Lord, the little baby born in a manger. Doesn't look strong, but powerful. Jesus says, all authority given to me. Friends, the uniqueness of our faith is not our ethics, it is not. It's not our way of life, and the uniqueness of Christianity is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is like no other, and the reason why we go around the world is because people need to know about Jesus. He is unique. That is why the Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, would be chained to a Roman guard, And here he was, he wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel, but he goes in chains. And yet here he is, and and the soldiers would listen in, and he would say this, not Caesar is what he's saying. He's saying one day, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's King. Friends, whatever view you have of Jesus, it's too low. The name of Jesus Christ and who he is, may we lift it high and higher and higher and higher. Can you hear the power? He is unique like no other. And from that declaration, Jesus then says, therefore. But we better listen at that point. It's after his resurrection, before his ascension, the declaration of his authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you look at that passage, Verses nineteen and twenty in the English it looks like four words, four commands. Notice, please notice, this is going somewhere. Go, it's a command. It looks like in English. Another command, make disciples. It's a command. It looks like in English. Baptize, and also teach to obey. In the ESV, it's observe. It looks like four. But in the Greek, there's only one command. What is that command? Take a guess. Take a guess. Of those four, which is the command? That's what we have been taught many times, and it's an important thing. But the command, make disciples. That's the only command. Make disciples. And in many ways, the other items are like characteristics of the process of making disciples. This word discipleship, uh, when I began to invest in those key young men, it was barely a word that was being used much. It's true. It was basically discipleship was like a course that you took after conversion for like seven or eight weeks. Today, the last about... 10 years, discipleship has become a super popular word. Discipleship this, discipleship that, da-da-da, da 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 da. But a lot of times people don't take time to think through. What does it mean? How does it apply? What does it look like? How do you know if it's being done? And in many ways, Jesus does not actually give us a five-point outline with lots of specificity. What we're left with is looking at his patterns the overall flow of his life and how he spent it and those that would therefore follow. You look at Jesus' life, and at times he had big crowds, nothing wrong with crowds. But most of his time was invested in a small group of men. He invested in them, spent time with them, put his life into them. Notice after his resurrection, Acts 1, Think of the crowds. He's he's alive. I mean, can you imagine the crowds? And even Paul makes a quick statement. He appeared to 500. But where did he spend most of his time? He spent it investing in his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. One-on-one, two-on-two, small group, investment of life. You, You look at the lives of the disciples, and in many ways we don't know much about them. We know that most of them very likely died as martyrs for Jesus Christ, but we don't know that much. We know most about Peter, but we don't know even that much about him. The one that we know most about is a guy by the name of Paul who became the the leader, wrote many of the letters of the New Testament, and look at Paul's life. He's investing in Timothy and Silas. He keeps encouraging, invest in faithful men and women. Invest your life. Choose wisely. Who invested in your life? Do you invest in people's lives? Very quickly, I'd like to share four overall patterns of the discipleship process that we pick up in the life of Jesus, we see in Paul, we see much of that in this passage. Very quickly, my time is running short. Number one, we must train. We must train. We must train them. Uh, But we must also ask, train them in what? We live in an informational age today where it's too much. We have so much. It's like going to a buffet table and and having food thrown at you. Uh, what, What do we train? Nobody can swallow it all. So we must think through what do we train? What does everyone need to know in a church, in in a country? What are the key things? Some of those things should include things like how do you live the Christian life? It should be about how do you understand the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. We must train them. I'm so grateful that you have a pastor that trains in the Word of God. So with Brother Vitali, Pastor Vitali, now, I invest in his life. He was trained and trained well. Number two, we must encourage obedience. In the ESV they use the word observe. ESV, great translation, I don't like that word as well. I prefer obedience, it's stronger. Uh, we teach so that we can obey. Now, the obedience here is not this straight jacket of legalistic rules. It includes guidelines, but it's talking about holiness. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Discipleship is about the disciple becoming more like the master. The master is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the Holy One. And so the process of fancy theological word, sanctification, what that actually means is that we are becoming more mature. We are becoming more like the Holy One. We're becoming more like Jesus Christ. And we grow. And in our lives, we will still sin. But we must have steps of maturity. In America, it is tragic in our churches. We have had moral blowout after moral blowout after moral blowout. We must be different. We have no testimony unless we're different. I want to tell you, in some parts of the world, it is different. In Vietnam, communist Vietnam, when they come to know Jesus, from day one, they learn, I submit, I surrender to King Jesus to obey him. We must teach to obey. Won't surprise you that my mentor was my dad, also my mom. But my dad, he, he taught me a very simple lesson that he learned from his dad and we teach all over the place. Here's what he teaches. He says, Jonathan, if you wanna honor the Lord, you've gotta be faithful with your M&Ms. Think of the candy. He says, be faithful with how you deal, think about, and handle money, and how you think about and handle yourself with your morality, your M and M's. Number three, we must evangelize. We must evangelize. Jesus said, teach to obey, but he also said, go. He said, go. You're going to be my witnesses, Dr. Luke writes in Acts. You're going to be my witnesses, my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You must go. If you're going to have long-term disciples, you've got to have people becoming disciples, coming to know Jesus. You must go. You must go. If you want to go, I want to encourage you how to be most effective. I've surveyed it. I've done it with key leaders that represent large thousands of people, but not only have I surveyed it with them, there's been additional, and everything says says the same thing. It's actually very simple, but yet not easy always to do. If you want to see someone come to know Jesus, every place in the world, most people, not all, God uses a variety of forms of evangelism, praise the Lord, but by far, most people come to know Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with a family member or friend. Most people come to know Jesus through a personal relationship with a family member or friend. I remember I I say this everywhere. In, In East Africa, I had a guy from Uganda, wonderful leader. He's got a he built a Christian school. They have 800 children, many of them Muslim, in a Muslim territory where Idi Amin was, and they're coming to know Jesus. And he raised his hand. And he said, Jonathan, that may be true in other parts of the world, but not here in East Africa. In East Africa, most people come to know Jesus either through crusades or miracles, dreams, visions, things like that. I said, praise God, I'm so glad. I said, maybe you're right. I said, but let's, and I stop every meeting and do this. I said, let's take some time, and I bring out a big board, and here's how confident I am at this point. I say two things on the board. At the top, I say, primary influence came to know Jesus through the relationship of a family member or friend, and then underneath that, I say this, anything else, (laughs) Miracles, dreams, crusade, reading the Bible, walking into a church building, whatever it may be, anything else. The lowest percentage I've ever had on the relationship family member or friend, lowest percentage was actually in East Africa and it was 70%. Usually it's 85 to 95%. Relationship of a family member or friend. Your pastor sits here today loves Jesus Christ, and he comes from a family. Larry would tell you that that was one of the friendships, deep relationships my dad invested in Larry's life. And you look at the relationship now of the Ripka family as they would build that family. I am so grateful for for Mike and Julie as they would have ministry to encourage marriage and sexual intimacy in a way that would honor the Lord Jesus Christ because that, that, that core family unit is the building block of society. Those deep relationships, even if you don't know these four characteristics and follow, I want to tell you, you are having a discipleship influence on your family. God has intended it that way. But we also need to do it with friendships. So often, the more Christianized we become, the more we isolate and have very few friendships. Do you ever invite your neighbor over for coffee, for a dessert, for dinner? Do you know the parents of who your kids play with, the playmates, do you know them? Do you get to know them at all? Many, many times you'll meet people that came to know Jesus through the influence of a family member, but also a friend. I love that you're gonna start a MOPS program where you can invite and get to know friendship for Christ. Number four, relationship. Relationship, I've said it throughout our time this morning, but don't miss it. Some people think if they train, if they evangelize, even if they become mature Christians, that that is doing the discipleship process, but no. We must also get into others' lives, our family, our friends, to get deep, to go through the joys and the sorrows, to get into their lives, relationship, relationship. I got into Vitaly's life. We became dear friends. Even to this day, he's one of my dearest friends. He grew up as a young man to obedience to Jesus Christ, and he became a pastor. He ended up pastoring an international church. It was the first international student church in the history of the Soviet Union. Over 20 different nations would come to his church on a given Sunday. He also taught part-time at the top law school in all of Ukraine, He also oversaw the missions program. They sent out 25 full-time missionaries out of Ukraine into other parts of the world. Primary work was with BMI, training Soviet Christian leaders for the purpose of multiplication all over that part of the world. 5 a.m., February 24, his world was turned upside down. 5 a.m. February 24, 2022, Putin invaded his country. Schools closed, church closed, all the international students ran back to their countries. His entire life was turned upside down. What do you do? How do you make it? Take a look at that final verse, and with this we will end. Jesus said, I am with you always, to the very end, to the very end. He never said to his disciples, when you do these things, life's going to be easy. When you do these things, there's no hurricanes. When you do these things, you're never going to have a topsy-turvy war. Hit your land. He doesn't, never says it. He says, I am with you. And friends, do not forget that the one who said this is the one who said all authority is given to me. That when you know me, you know truth. When you know me, you have a peace that passes all understanding. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote, Christ is Lord, every knee will bow, also said, I have joy even in suffering. I have a joy. I can be content." It's a satisfaction in life that's there regardless of the circumstances. It's in harmony with God because of Jesus Christ. That is the answer. And friends, some of you here today, you feel like your life has been a hurricane. I want to tell you, if you followed Jesus Christ, he's with you. You invite the Holy Spirit to move, to draw you to Jesus. Focus on him. He is with you. It's a truth. It is a promise. I look at our world today. Our world's a mess. It's a mess, friends. I'm a trained historian. And I say that because I can tell you, our country is in trouble it's true. We're not at the worst point in our history, but we're headed in the wrong way in recent years. It's not a good period of history. I look at our world, and I've got great concern. What happens if now he's annexed, and now he says this is Russia, and Ukraine continues to fight with American weapons, and NATO, and what happens? Do you know how close we are I look to the Far East and the growth of, of China and, 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 and right there, even the China, and what's going on in the sea and then. I, I mean, Middle East, there's no peace. We live in troubling times, very fragile time in history. But I'm also very optimistic. I'm very optimistic, because as I go around, In most of my meetings these days, I'm the oldest guy in the room. I see a group of young, faithful leaders who love and are impassioned for Jesus Christ. I see the kingdom of God moving forward. And at the end of the day, I know that Jesus Christ is king, Lord of all. Ruler of all, and I can trust him. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth, it's been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of God's people say,